thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hello there, lovely listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to Wellness Room Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And you can find us on social media. So we are on Facebook, so facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Women. We're on Instagram at The Wellness Women Official. I am uh, DrAndrea.xo on Instagram and The Period Whisperer on Facebook. And Dr. Ashley is Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. Hey, Ash, how are you? Awesome. Awesome. I was just laughing that today's uh, chat we're going to have is about, you know, emotional eating and emotional eating patterns. And I'm like, who doesn't want to watch The Bachelor and just, you know, eat half a block of chocolate? Come on now. <laughs> you know, I actually just left my husband in the bathroom to record this and he's watching The Bachelor and I had to laugh because I've never watched an episode. I'm like, oh dear, what is going on out there? Oh, I've just been sucked in at the hometown dates and stuff and I'm like, ooh, now it's getting juicy. There's, you know, families involved in this social experiment that they're now using the word experiment for all these programs. I'm like, it's a bloody... <laughs> crazy yeah oh my gosh we could do an entire podcast episode on the psychology of the bachelor i think which would be hilarious oh, it is hilarious um, but you know you can so mildly sit there getting all wrapped up in the emotions of this experience and then meanwhile you're eating half a bag of chips you know or half a pack of chocolate or <laughs> i'm like and you know what i think uh, it's funny i did see that the sponsors for the bachelor show was the magnum ice cream brand uh-huh. so i'm wondering if that's buying into women and getting into this juicy gossipy like show 100%. 100%. Um, 
Whether it be the gushy romantic like me, who's just like, I'm totally into it, not because I want the drama or chaos, because, oh, my gosh, they're going to find love. How gorgeous. Oh, um, that's so sweet. I'm like the complete opposite. I'm so cynical for all that, like, BS. I'm like, oh, gross. They're all so fake. Yeah, and we love to hate the, you know, the hated ones. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, how can you not see that girl's just crazy? The other one's so nice. She's going to get hurt. It's not fair, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, on reality TV, uh, they're all crazy as far as I'm concerned. Oh. Um, so, ladies, in case you haven't picked up on it, tonight we're going to talk about emotional eating. And I think that this is really topical, um, especially for me this week, because it's been a really interesting week. And for you, it has as well, Ash. And I don't know if you want to get into that. But so um, we had Tiaki at the vet this week. And you know, for all of you who don't know, Tiaki is um, my nine-year-old German Shepherd Cross, who is literally the love of my life. And uh, Dean knows that, so it's okay. Um, and he's had all sorts of health problems and he had to have x-rays on his back legs, which meant that he's got to go under a general anesthetic. And I like, we left him there on Tuesday and I'm literally bawling my eyes out, like in the car on the way home because he's my baby and I don't know if he's scared and if they'll be nice to him. And it's all completely ridiculous. Um, crazy dog lady party of one right here. And we got home and I'm like eating everything in sight. And I literally was saying to Dean, I'm eating my feelings. I'm eating my feelings. <laughs> you know, I, I've earned this because it's been a hard day and I'm a dog mom who's got a sick baby. And it's like, you know, the most ridiculous things. Um, and then when we decided to do this podcast episode, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm completely nuts. And then I told the, my staff at work, as I was leaving tonight saying we're going to record a podcast on emotional eating tonight and every single one of them was like, oh, yeah, I do that. I do that. I was doing that all day. And I think it's almost like we have that badge as a woman that we're allowed to emotionally eat. Well, do you think? Well, that, that's absolutely true because most women have been told at some point, you know, that when they have their period and their cycle, you know, they're allowed to sort of binge on junk food, it's just part of your hormones and all that sort of, you know, justification. But look, the reality of it is quite, um, you know, direct that whether it be male or female, 40% of adults report overeating or consuming junk food in response to stress during the prior month. And that was a study by the American uh, Psychological Association. So, I was like, ooh, so that's a pretty juicy study. That's when they, you know, ask a lot of people in all different walks of life whether or not mm-hmm. they find, you know, stress elicits a, a need to eat and 40% of adults said yes. So, mm, we're not alone if we, we feel the need to eat when we're stressed, but we know that there's so many uh, different ways and, and reasons why that might be. Some of them are, are conscious and, and we're aware of them and others are slightly more, you know, unconscious and they're slightly more driven by biochemical needs, you know, in response to the hormone of cortisol. So, um, yeah, we just wanted to sort of chat about this today and debunk some of the myths around, you know, whether it's um, an actual thing, because one of the studies that we also looked at was having a chat about whether or not um, emotional overeating is in fact something that is um, truly driven by subconscious, you know, biochemistry or whether it's actually just a conscious excuse for poor choices. And mm-hmm. and their study um, sort of really ran through, uh, well, they did sample female university students. So I'm not sure if that's, you know, the gold standard oh, because gosh, we've just sample, found the, the yeah. yeah, we've found the hyper, you know, concentrated group of uh, stressed out females there. But they also, you know, did determine that these individuals 
um, had tendency to retrospectively attribute the overeating um, as a negative, knowing that they were consciously doing it. They knew there were better choices, but they just wanted to do it anyway. So, um, typically, the university like aged people don't have that complete like prefrontal inhibition yet because that doesn't happen until later in our twenties. Um, so I, that's a very interesting sample size that they're taking. But isn't this such a first world problem? Yeah, oh, I mean, this like is a Harvard eating. study, so you know they're not—they're not, they're not yeah. a bunch of you know dummies over there. But um, oh, and another one as well was conducted by Utrecht University in the Netherlands. So um, yeah, it's been kind of replicated and in different parts of the world and similar outcomes. So that's kind of interesting. So yeah, emotional eating is uh, attributed to something that we can control to some degree, and some of the time we just actually let ourselves emotionally eat um, as a kind of like a a non-guilty way of doing what we really want to do but just blaming it on something else. I just, so in other words, like I really wanted to eat all of those carob bears and yeah. I'm just blaming it on the fact that I was I'm, feeling sad and upset about the fact that Tiaki was under a general anaesthetic and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, apparently. So yeah. you'd, you'd that earned, makes the, perfect you'd sense. earned the, the, the right to go and eat those extra carob bears. So, yes, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. that it's totally situational as well. 100%. So And completely, I, I certainly think there's a very strong hormonal component yes. for this for women as well. There is. Like I know that for me there's certain stages in my cycle when I have absolute complete control and I don't even think about food. It's just food is just fuel and then that's it. Um, you know, I remember a few weeks ago we were working really hard. There was a lot of stuff going on. Um, I had a friend um, staying with me who was helping with the practice and um, it had been such a massive day and he said, okay, what's your comfort food? What can we get you? What's your comfort food? And I was like, oh, comfort food? What's that? Like it didn't even enter my mind. Whereas then if you fast forward to now, it's like what's your comfort food? I could like, I'll give you a shopping list. I'm like, go and get me this. <laughs> So it's completely situational for women and I assume for men as well. Um, Ash, what's your comfort food go-to? What's your emotional eating crux? Well, do you know what? I've had sushi four times this week. So I'm thinking that you know, while, while, while Pete was away, I was like allowing myself to go and get sushi, justifying that it seemed pretty, pretty clean and healthy. Um, because it was a whole food and at least it wasn't sugar, you know, so much. Um, so I would suggest that I think, you know, for those times, um, it would be meals that I don't have to prepare. So, okay. you know, my comfort food would be anything that I could pick up that someone else made for me. Um, yes, so, you know, so that sort of, that's, that can be good food or, or not so good food, but, um, and dark chocolate. Oh my gosh. Every lady who's listened to us for a while knows that I'm the dark, dark chocolate queen. I have my, my dark chocolate fix. It's my, my brain's need. Um, and that look, that comes down to, doesn't it? It sort of triggers off that pleasure reward system in the brain that says. Oh, you, you get know, a total dopamine dump with yeah, it. Yeah, yep. yeah. And when you feel really good when you're doing it, you get that like flood of dopamine. Um, if you reward yourself even consciously for doing it, um, then you get that massive influx of the, the brain derived nootropic factor. I'm saying that wrong. I'm sure of it. The BDNF. So then you're almost cementing those neurological pathways. So then it becomes your default pattern, right? So every time you do X, Y, Z, your brain goes, oh, last time we did that, we felt really good. And then we ate chocolate and we felt really, really good. So let's do that again. Yeah. And is that interesting? And then we've um, 
you know, there's different ways we can look at this, like as in is it just an adult response to stress or is this something that's actually been set up and created right from a very young age? And studies also show that that's in fact the case, that we model um, what is in our house. So for a lot of people, they've modelled their parents' eating behaviours. That could be, for example, the snacks after dinner while watching the TV. It could be, um, oh, you've had you know, a terrible day at school. Let's go out and get you know iced, iced chocolate and, and a cupcake for afternoon tea. Like just that idea that there's a reward drive and it's often junk food. Mm. Um, or there's the other side of it, which is you know connected to pleasurable experiences. And that could be something as young as our very first birthday cake. You know, this idea that it's something special for us, about us. And in most occasions, it's some big, you know, sugar-filled, gluten-filled cake. And um, that gives us that satisfaction, that reward that, you know, we're worthy, we deserve it, and we're being mm-hmm. celebrated. So, you know, those those ideas around food as part of our emotional response can go far back into our childhood. So can it be easy to just suddenly say one day, look, I'm not going to emotionally eat anymore. When you think about it, those pathways have been established since um, sometimes infancy. Um, so from, from my perspective, I always think, yes, I think there's some conscious control, but I do respect the fact that, you know, a lot of the research does say that there is a big emotional subconscious driver that seeks pleasure, you know, seeks, seeks some form of support or yeah. some sort of, um, satisfaction to draw the stress, you know, out of the situation. And especially when we use food as a crux for everything, right? So we use it to punish ourselves. We use it as the reward for, you know, absolutely everything. You've done a good job. Have, you know, here's a treat. Um, if you've had a hard day, then you go down the exact same pathways no matter what. And it's with food, but it's not like you can abstain from food and be healthy, right? Like other addictions. So for example, with drugs and alcohol, complete abstinence can essentially cure that addiction. Whereas with food, you can't have complete abstinence. We need it for our own survival. We need it for fuel. And uh, so that's why there's such funny relationships that we have with it. Um, And I think especially for women because of so much of the stuff that goes on media and what we value and blah, 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 there's just food is such a crux and it's so emotional to all of us and I think that, a lot of us do have fairly unhealthy relationships with it, and that's why that um, obviously emotional eating is such a big thing. And that can range from anything from, you know, unconsciously or consciously eating just in the absence of hunger, or it can be that intense binge where we completely lose control over, you know, what we should be eating. Um, and then we create kind of that numbing effect on our system, which still gives us that sense of fullness, but also still that dopamine hit as well. Yeah, that's, and that's, um, I think, you know, having that idea that at the end of the day, it's usually some pleasure seeking behavior. Yeah. You know, when, if you long and short of it is, it's some form of pleasure. There was a really good study by one of our local universities here in WA, um, ECU, Edith Cohen University, and they did a big study looking at the impact of socioeconomic status on emotional eating. And that was really interesting. Their findings were a little bit, um, Surprising because what it showed was that those people with lower socioeconomic status um, tended to experience more psychological distress, which was associated with the emotional eating to cope with these stressful experiences, um, which was in turn associated with higher rates of obesity. 
Yeah. However, an unexpected finding they had was that this higher socioeconomic status, so people with you know greater wealth and um, I guess uh, opportunity, was also associated with emotional eating. However, it was less connected to psychological distress and more to do with boredom. Fascinating. Mm, so it's not just about a stress response. Sometimes it's it's to do with boredom. Yeah, yeah. And I think we all have been there, haven't we? That mm. we're just eating because we are bored and all of a sudden we find ourselves back in front of the fridge or the pantry and we're not hungry. We've had a perfectly satiating meal and we're just there just because or it's procrastination as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's why I definitely think that a lot of this is, is certainly a first world problem. Um, and I like I understand what you say by the, the lower socioeconomic status. It's more of a stress psychological sort of response that they maybe that is true emotional eating who knows but um ah that is really fascinating Hmm. so i thought thought you listeners would like to you know hear that because sometimes we we think it's only a certain demographic or only a certain subset of people that will have this problem but i guess it just shows that across the board whether it's you know socioeconomic status gender um whether it be cultural it's it's still being sort of mirrored across the globe it was from america some from the netherlands there some from australia and they're all echoing this very similar outcome so then the question is if this is common to humans because I think we're starting to see a bit of a profile match there between a few of the, um, I guess, developed world countries. You're right about, you know, potentially I haven't sort of read any studies in developing nations, but certainly in developed nations, um, that's one thing that was very interesting to decide. Well, do we have control over it then? So if we are emotional eating, um, how do you gain control of that emotional eating? How do you deal with the... I guess the guilt and some of those associations is shame. And then, you know, it's that, yeah. that, that beat yourself up cycle um, because that's a big part. Whenever I talk to women about, you know, emotional eating, oh, you know, I did, oh, I just felt so bad. So the next day I starved myself all day just to make up for, you know, the extra calories that I just had. Um, or they kill themselves with exercise. Yeah, go and thrash yeah. themselves at the gym, do three hours instead of their normal one class because they have to make up for something that they did the day before. And there's that real sort of um, blame, guilt, shame situation. And I think it's it's never healthy when we um, torment ourselves with negative self-talk. And I yeah. feel like from the conversations I have around this, there's nearly always an association with some degree of negative self-talk. Always, always. And is it interesting that a lot of that is really buying into this idea of we're, we're denying ourselves the emotions that are coming up that are causing these problems to happen in the first place. And even if it is boredom, then what is it that you need to be sinking your teeth into? And that pun was completely unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> what do you need to be, you know, really getting into that gives you a sense of purpose that takes you out of that boredom? Um, because really like denying these emotions is so, so counterintuitive and this, well, you can put a positive spin on it. You know, this emotional eating, even though it is wrought with so much shame and guilt and there's that really vicious cycle that women get into is can this be a gift? Can this be a window of opportunity um, into showing you what you actually need to work on and what can actually push you into better decision-making? Um, and I know that we could really go down the rabbit hole of, um, you know, a lot of the stuff in, um, in some of the research that I've read. It can be um, emotional triggers that are from all sorts of things, especially childhood experiences, and it can be rooted deep back into all sorts of traumas and hurts. And 
you could go down the rabbit hole in that and maybe um, for some of our listeners, they might really need to tackle those things. But what is it that you're denying yourself and what is it that you're hungry for? You know, what is that void that you're trying to fill? What is that need that you have? And could this be a window of opportunity for you to actually really acknowledge that? Are there patterns that are going on? So, for example, are you always emotionally eating when a circumstance happens at work? Is there a better way to deal with that? Do I need to stop being such a crazy dog lady? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like those sorts of things. Does this give you an opportunity to figure out what those triggers are for you so that you can address what the root cause is because the real issue is an emotional hurt or some sort of emotional void. Um, it's not the food. The food's just the coping mechanism. Yeah, they always say like the pleasure or pain, you know, contrasts or the fears and frustrations, you know, where we're eating out our, our fears and our frustrations. Um, yeah. So for me as well, I agree, Andrew, completely that wholeheartedly you need to dive into this idea that, um, asking the the why, you know, what am I really doing here? Why am I really doing this? What am I actually feeling? Um, and slowing the whole process down. And this is probably where, you know, one of the most powerful things people can do is a situation of just going through a process of meditation, you know, just mm-hmm. calming that mindset down, talking into a space of positivity rather than negativity. See if you're coming from an angle of just, you know, punishment. Are you just punishing yourself mm-hmm. for something um, and dealing with the the underlying issues? And they also show, you know, clearly that stress reduction techniques like meditation, like exercise, you know, like talking with friends is far more more healthy way of managing um, emotional hurts or pains than to sit quietly in a corner and eat a tub of ice cream, as, as, <laughs> as satisfying as that is at the time. <laughs> yeah, and as much as that gives you that dopamine dump. And um, I did, I was reading, uh, I had a quick look at a journal from the um, Social Work Healthcare um, Journal. There's all sorts of journals, so interesting. So in 2017, they were showing that um, I'll be emotional eating behaviours and the people who usually have higher rates of emotional eating, especially when it's linked with obesity, they usually lack emotional self-care. Mm. Um, but you know they they definitely have this deep desire to decrease their emotional eating but they didn't know how to manage those behaviors or they they needed to like link it to what the actual triggers were in the first place um and i think that that's that's really telling yeah and i always um tend to you know look at this as an opportunity to identify as well our resilience you know our stress handling response because there's evidence that those people who respond to stress with high cortisol levels are more likely to snack in response to their daily hassles than those who respond with low cortisol levels. So mm. elevated cortisol is an indicator that you are more likely going to be an emotional eater. So isn't that interesting that um, if you drive up cortisol and you have elevated stress response, then it's pretty much predisposing you to this idea that you could be you know, emotional eating, um, but also that is in turn connected with increased risks of being overweight and obese. So, yeah, um, that's so interesting because that buys into that idea of if everybody's different in their stress response and it's mm-hmm. the way you're perceiving perception. That, yeah. That, yeah, it's your perception of that. And one way to really shift that perception of stress or the trigger, whatever it might be, is with meditation. Yes, yes, and that's what it all comes back to. It all comes down to the crux being, yes, you have to, you know, deal with underlying cause. That might be past hurt, emotion, pain, um, any any reason that you may be emotionally stressed, but 
at the, you know, the core of it all is that you need to adapt. You need to shift your perceptions of stress responses. So your perception of stress to stressful events um, so that you can change your cortisol response, which in turn decreases your uh, response through eating, which is a cortisol elevates stress because you need to buy in more calories to deal with the stressful experience because, you know, historically, theoretically, you were actually, you know, rather than just um, the stress of crossing the road, it was actually running from tigers, you know, like it was yeah. a completely yeah. different stress which required a much higher metabolic output um, so that requirement is is inbuilt into our biology that if stress goes up, so too do our you know our calories generally speaking need to go up. Of course, we know there's um, exceptions to the rule. I do know plenty of people when they're stressed they revert to skipping meals and no meals, and they can actually go through periods yeah. of you know losing weight because of that stress response. But that's not the the common response. The more common yeah. response is to overeat. So yes, I, I don't know if we're we you know validating everyone's. Um, I guess it, it ability to, to eat emotionally here and say, well, you know, it's just part of who you are. So, you know, accept it. Or instead we're just saying, I think the message I would love everyone to go home with today is that, okay, emotional eating is simply, you know, a stress response. And yep. if we have the opportunity to mitigate change or manage stress, then guess what? I can also change my emotional eating response as deep rooted as psychologically as that may be. Um, so yeah. And let's look at just maybe some of our best tips of what we'd suggest when it, you are faced with that. And that is all of your amazing stress reduction techniques. So, of course, meditation. Um, both um, Ashley and I are a huge fan of meditation and whatever that means for you. So whether or not it's guided, um, it's just, you know, sitting there in a bit of mindfulness. It could be that parasympathetic breathing. So it's to switch off that fight or flight response. So that's breathing in for seven and out for 11, in for seven, out for 11. Um you know, of course, sometimes you can't meditate yourself out of certain conditions or certain traumas. And we know that there are, you know, very extreme circumstances um, that have led people to, you know, certain things and they maybe have that emotional eating, that real crux. You know, we're not psychologists. We're not claiming to be, but we know that that is very much a real thing. So obviously getting the right type of help and support that you need. And there might be just other little triggers that are happening from day to day. Um, that you need to actually really deal with. And one thing that I found that I, I heard on a, a psychology podcast that was a really great tool is that if there's been some sort of trauma or some sort of event that's really triggering for you, what they suggest is recording that onto, say, a voice memo and play it back to yourself every day until it doesn't evoke any kind of reaction from you anymore. Wow. So it's almost like it's almost like you're putting yourself through like almost like a kind of uh, regression, uh, like a self sort of directed regression, and then you essentially just kind of move through it. So you'll get to the point where none of it triggers you anymore. Um, and I definitely would suggest doing this for you know things that really need psychological intervention with proper professionals. But maybe it's an event at work that happened that you don't want to react to anymore or, or something along those lines that might be useful. Um, so I think that that could be a useful tool for women. Um, I also think just having really good nutrition, really good balanced meals is going to help to hopefully mitigate some of the hunger and that really deep desire because when our leptin and our ghrelin hormones are balanced, our satiation and our hunger hormones are in balance and in check. When you're not um, having those low blood sugar levels and, you know, your cortisol levels are all over the place, hopefully you'll be less inclined to need to keep filling up. 
And that would look like something that's, you know, got some really good lean protein, good quality fats, lots and lots of fiber and good choice carbohydrates like veggies and salads type things. Love that. And while you're talking nutrition, I think one of the, the big things to do is to not have any form of sort of comfort foods just hanging around in cupboards and fridge because, yeah. you know, it's just inviting trouble if you have it sitting there waiting for the next moment, you're feeling some degree of, you know, desire to consume, you know, sugar or fat or carbohydrate, mm-hmm. which are usually the three that, you know, people tend to go towards. So, um, you know, don't, don't have them there because I can promise you if you don't have it, you might mooch around in the cupboard for a while, but eventually you're like, well, it's not there. So you either get creative and find something, you know, a bit tastier and a bit better for you mm-hmm. um, because, you know, really not that many of us actually then, you know, when we're sitting in our pyjamas, go and change our clothes, get in the car, go to the shops to buy it. You know, like some of us might. I, it's like I hear some giggles. I'm, sure I'm like, like thinking, actually, you underestimate my desire for, you know. I went in my pyjamas. What are you talking about? Yeah, totally. <laughs> actually, I did see a girl in pyjamas at the shops tonight. I was smiling. She's like, you know, 20. She was so cute. And she had these uh, flannel PJs on with, like, pigs all over them and just made me laugh. She was a cute little thing. She was grabbing something healthy, but it just made me laugh. I'm like, who runs into the shops in their pyjamas? But um, obviously when you have to, you have to. So, yeah, that's that's a big one. And I also think, you know, exercise is a fabulous outlet as well. So when we're, you know, dealing with that emotional stress response, do we actually just need to go and get active? You know, do we need to go for a walk and just clear the brain and and calm the body or some activities, you know, things that are shown to be effective with stress management and things like yoga and Tai Chi, things that are both forms of exercises, but have meditative principles and practices, you know, to them too. So there is plenty of ways to manage stress. Um, And for me personally, I just think, whatever is your jam, whatever works for you. Uh, Because if someone tells me to sit down and do some long-winded hour-long meditation, I can tell you I don't do it. (laughs) So, But if you give me a 20-minute guided meditation, I'm actually quite inspired to do that. I find that quite, you know, I'm able to engage with it. Someone else talking calms my brain and I can actually focus on one thing and and that's meditative Um, or for me, the ocean, you know. So find your space that makes you feel good um, and try to avoid the places that uh, triggers the emotional eating drivers. Yeah, I love that. Um, There's also lots of things were popping up on the internet about emotional freedom technique or that's also known as tapping for emotional Mm -hmm. eating. And whether or not it's placebo, if it has an effect, who cares? Um, if it's going to help to flip that switch for you. And I also just think that it gives your brain something else to focus on. And then you get into this pattern of when I feel like this, instead of reaching for food, I do X, Y, and Z activity instead. And I also have a better, um, you know, stress reduction from that. And if it's a more healthier outlet, I think that all the power to you. I think that that is so much better. Hopefully it's not online shopping, which would probably be my next crux. <laughs> um, and I, I think that that's probably a, a good summation of what our, our best suggestions are. So Ash is definitely meditation, mindfulness, exercise, um, swaps, because uh, a lot of the time it's just that hand-to-mouth action. So could it be, um, you know, sparkling water with fresh lime in it instead of a chocolate bar? Because a lot of the time it is just simply that hand-to-mouth action. Um, you know, be prepared with your good meals, excellent nutrition, nothing takes the place of that, your parasympathetic breathing, um, your Tai Chi yoga, that sort of stuff. But also just stop beating yourself up about it. We all do it from time to time, particularly in that premenstrual time. Women consume 230% more carbohydrates than at any other time of the month. Um, so we all do it. Don't beat yourself up about it, but 
if this is something that needs to shift, then those are hopefully some tools that will be useful for you. Beautiful. So next time you're watching The Bachelor, don't uh, don't reach for the chocolate. Just just sit there and enjoy the experience. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, ladies. We would love to know if you have got some amazing advice or some experience with emotional eating. Uh, make sure that you communicate with us on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Women or on our Instagram page as well at The Wellness Women Official. So you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are The Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.